Record. Yeah. That should yeah. be it. Yeah. Woo! Have the backup recording just in case, because you never know these days. Recording both ends. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Happy Amblin Waffle Press Retrospective, where we review and rewatch all the uh, starring filmography of Adam Sandler. That's not a sentence. Let me try that again. <laughs> Hold on. Can I, can I just point out how you said where we review? <laughs> <laughs> You said that like Nixon saying "sock it to me." <laughs> <laughs> Sock it to we, uh, me. We we're gonna talk about all the movies starring Adam Sandler and all the movies that Steven Spielberg directed, there plus you go. some other stuff too. That's yeah. a normal human sentence. We got movies. <laughs> I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is Matt Garingo. That's me. Skip it, do. We got a movie today too. It's not the follow-up to the hit film Bulletproof. Uh, you guys remember that movie? Of course you do. You listen to this podcast. No one else would remember that movie. <laughs> yeah, you, the only way you know about Bulletproof is if you listen to the Happy, Happy Amblin podcast. And last week, if you're listening to this, uh, you checked out The Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What a great episode that oh, was. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go on record. And say it might be the best thing we've ever recorded. Miles, miles ahead. I mean, frankly, we've, we really peaked. It's only downhill from there. Th- there's no way we will ever capture that magic ever again. Yep. Uh, but we are not here to talk about one of uh, the cinematic landmarks of the industry. We're here to talk about <laughs> The Wedding Singer, starring Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Fuck you, this is this movie's a landmark. It is for a lot of people. It is for Adam Sandler's career. <laughs> also that. Uh, I think a lot of people are really kind to the 90s, Adam Sandler. We brought this up before on uh, the previous episodes. And I, I I don't think his misses here are nearly as bad as some of the later stuff. Um, and I wouldn't even call The Wedding Singer a miss. I think it's a genuinely sweet, kind film that is also an Adam Sandler film. So it's not entirely sweet and kind all the time. It's a, it's a <laughs> but, serviceable uh, romantic comedy. Yeah. And you know what? Every once in a while, it's just nice to have some comfort food. And that's what this is. This is cinematic comfort food. It's directed by Frank Karachi. It was released in 1998. And why Matt said it's a huge landmark for Adam Sandler's career is that the film cost $18 million to make and it grossed over $123 million worldwide. There you go. Even by today's standards, that's a, that's a huge hit. That's... Good for them. But this one also, I believe, opened Sandler to a wider audience. I mean, uh, clearly by the box office, but I think this being a romantic comedy, it made it more appealing to women, I'm guessing. I don't think movies like Billy Madison or Happy Gilmore are favorites um, among women, considering how women are portrayed in those films. (laughs) 
Those are very broy movies comparatively. Cut to the Chris Farley clip from Oh yeah. <laughs> Billy Madison. Um yeah, no, not a not a high mark there. And uh here I would even say that the the romance is it's very movie romance where like yeah, I don't really buy it. Oh, definitely. But what I do buy is the chemistry between Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. Yeah, the chemistry, and what we find out here is that Adam Sandler can be a very sweet guy, <laughs> which he has not been up to this point. He's been a man-child and a psychotic, angry person. And that, you know, I, I think those had their value, <laughs> in a way, to just being, like, entertaining. Yeah. Although you can't really out-anger Chris Farley, you know? Oh, yeah, that's a mistake when, when you're in... trying to be angry in a movie with Chris Farley in it. <laughs> Yeah, um, but no, yeah, there, there's, a, there's a real tenderness here to him, and uh, along with Bulletproof, I think if I was uh, alongside Siskel and Ebert at the time of, uh, of that film's release, and this film's release, I would kind of be more open to Adam Sandler. Like now, obviously, I think we're both fans, generally, uh, of, of the, the actor, but uh, these would, I think, really open us up to like just what he's capable of, too. You I know, think like, I think we're just starting. To, we're getting a glimpse that he he's got more of a range than just angry yelling man. Mm-hmm. Not that he doesn't get angry or yell in this movie. Oh yeah, because that definitely happens, and I think that's a that might be one of the most like well known moments of the film. The angry song. I don't remember what it's called. Um, but... Well, there's there's uh, there's somebody kill me please. There you go. But there's also Love Stinks, where he, he just, like, crashes that wedding, which is another good moment. But that's one where it's, uh, again, I, I think it shows a lot of range, because that's a scene where he's angry, but, like, in a really quiet way, <laughs> which is somehow more intense. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense, but, like, he never really tried that up to this point. You know, he was always, like, either, like, at zero or eleven. <laughs> so it's a nice, it's nice to see him try something different. Oh. Uh, it's a little background on the plot. Adam Sandler plays Robbie Hart, a wedding singer in New Jersey in 1985. Oh my God, did this kickstart the 80s like renaissance? Oh my God, you know what? I honestly didn't catch that it was set in the 80s. I thought it was just a bunch of sad people in the 90s acting like it was the 80s. No, that's that's uh, people in Idaho in the 90s. Yeah, I kind of I was thinking that. <laughs> But, uh, did, did that, did, was this the one that, like, brought back the 80s originally? I don't know, there's gotta be other examples. Yeah, but no one remembers them. This one, this one taps into the music, at least. I mean, this is a movie that's very much leaning into, like, music of that era. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why fucking Billy Idol was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I totally... I totally missed that it was set in 1985. <laughs> I honestly thought it was like, oh, these are people who are like obsessed with the 80s. <laughs> and I'm like, Billy Idol has been relevant for about 10 years. What the fuck? <laughs> well, there you go. And wow, what an odd thing. Um, yeah, because there's no fun with like the framework or the formula of any of that stuff. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, we like the 80s, so it's in the movie now. Yeah, it's like, and honestly, I gotta give it credit, like, other than the music, it's very restrained in, like, you got people, like, dressing up, like, they again, I, I totally, that, I'm such a fucking idiot. 
I'm like, of course, the one guy's dressed like he's in Miami Vice. The other guy thinks he's Michael Jackson. I mean, <laughs> it's like, I totally just didn't pick up on it. And yeah, wow, all right. So Adam Sandler stars as the wedding singer Robbie Hart, like I was saying. Uh, Drew Barrymore uh, co-stars as Julia Sullivan. And she's a she's a waitress, like kind of she she works weddings, um, part of like a catering group, I think. Yes, um, I'm now questioning everything from the movie because now I'm like <laughs> I totally miss the '80s thing. She works for Robert Smigel. <laughs> Robert Smigel is like the stuck-up chef guy. Do you remember him? Yes. So there he is. Uh, there's a lot of fun cameos in this. There's a big one. That I not the Billy Idol one, oddly enough, although that that's kind of fun in its own way. Um, well, that's the I one where huge... the movie the movie stops and is like Billy Idol. Like, yeah, this is uh the the earlier versions of of that. Uh, yeah, which which will get worse as we go along. Cut to Al Pacino. Oh God! Don't mind if I do. <laughs> <laughs> the Irishman. Uh, but anyways, the cameo that I really like in this is the first appearance of Steve Buscemi. Oh yes, um, he's a, he's a drunk. <laughs> he's a he's an alcoholic who I believe he's, has a very dark history with his brother. <laughs> he's, yes, he's he's a very very sad person, and he gets up on stage and we laugh at how sad his life is. But look. Steve Buscemi sells the hell out of it. Uh, he's oh a God, terrific actor. <laughs> and uh, you should also all watch Boardwalk Empire, which is also related to Martin Scorsese. Can I just say, though, um, about Boardwalk Empire, because you brought it up, so fuck you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, God damn, I could not make it out of the second season of that show. No! It got No, no, honestly, I don't even want to say, it got the subplot with Michael Shannon and that pregnant woman... Mm-hmm. That was so awful. I, I just I couldn't do it. Oh. Like that made me more miserable than anything I've watched in a long time. Like it was like I don't know. Like I'm sure the show's fine, but that was like it, it, it crossed a line for me. Okay, I, where I I, I don't I don't even want to be like a moral thing. It's just like I was so like I'm you know you have that moment where you're watching some things and you're like why am I here. <laughs> And it, I, and also it was a story like just that whole subplot. It was more for Michael Shannon's character than the woman who was being abused, mm-hmm. which definitely didn't help things. If you ever go back to it, they play the long game with that character, and I'm, all the stuff pays off really well. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. I just I couldn't. I I I I, I couldn't do it after that. All right, all right, I get it. And I get it. It's honestly, it, it makes him pot like one of the most deplorable characters on in television history. Oh yeah, no, he's, and, he's awful. But like to a degree that like you're you don't know why you're here anymore. Mm. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like a little Game of Thronesy, like later seasons. A little, but Game of Thrones, I don't think ever got. Game of Thrones just started having really dumb characters who were also awful. Oh, well, you know. You know. They didn't... I don't want to go on... I don't want to go on a limb here, but I think those Game of Thrones guys actually didn't understand what they were working with. I don't know how much to blame them and how much to just blame... them. I got... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. All right, well... Yeah. 
But Steve Buscemi's really funny in this. Steve Buscemi should have been on Game of Thrones. Oh, Steve Buscemi should just be in everything. I could have seen him working at the Iron Bank. <laughs> Tell me that hey, wouldn't you, work. You, uh, you, you with Jon Snow? <laughs> Somehow he's got to get murdered and put in a wood chipper again. I don't know. <laughs> Some horrible death. He, you know, he needs to he needs to play. Uh, uh, who the fuck played Pennywise? He needs to play Stellan Skarsgård's dad. Oh, or Bill uh, Skarsgård's dad. Sure, that's not a bad idea. Yeah, but anyways. Um, but Buscemi worked with Sandler on Airheads, I think we talked about, in the Billy Madison mm-hmm. episode. And then, of course, he was in Billy Madison. So this is his third time working with Sandler. And a relationship that continues to this very day. For some inexplicable reason. No idea. Everyone just but... loves working with Sandler, from what, I've, from what I understand. And I'm sure the paychecks are nice. Oh, yeah, that too. But it, not all these guys are in, like, like big roles, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, from what I'm saying, like, the whole cast of Grown Ups, like, got, like, a fortune for doing that movie. Ugh. Like, more money than we'll ever see in our entire lives. But, like, if you're... The dream. If you're doing... Yes, the dream. <laughs> to make a fortune doing Grown Ups. Yes. Um, I wonder how much Norm MacDonald got paid. Because he's in that movie, but they, like, cut all his scenes. Aww. Well, you still get paid, even if they cut him. I guess, but it's, like, the funniest jokes. I don't know why they cut it. It's, like, a running gag of he... he, He's someone who they knew when they were kids, but, like, wasn't really their friend, but he keeps trying to pretend they were friends. (laughs) And, like, he's trying to insert himself into things that are going on. But, yeah, I guess that was... They had to make room for... I think a a deer pisses on someone in it. Oh, it, it pisses on Adam Sandler. There you go. That was the trailer for Grown Ups 2. Hey, oh my god. That came out the same week in a specific room. Oh, and it beat it. Yep. There we go, America. <sighs> Not to take us into downer territory, but anyways. Uh, oh, fuck, I had this whole thing. I lost it. It's over. What would you what'd you lose? We're talking about uh, Shami. Fucking see Norm Macdonald? No. The, the Skarsgard. Fuck. Game of Thrones. Mm. Making money doing grown ups. The American Dream. It was dream. around the grown ups conversation. The American yeah. Dream, the deer pissing on someone. Oh <laughs> uh, no, it's gone. If it comes back, I'll just blurt it out. Selma Hayek is in grown ups too. Oh my god, that's right. Shaq is in Grown Ups too. Really? I think he's a cop. You know what? I buy that. Actually. I think I think there's a scene where he like pulls a gun on him. Oh no! <laughs> and then, but then it's like oh, a fun. No. It's like a fun joke. Oh. He's like, put your hands in the air, and wave him like you just don't care. Ah, police abusing authority is hilarious. Yeah. Um. Oh, now I remember. Okay. Uh, well, sometimes it's just nice to see... I'm just going to jump right back. Go, go ahead. <laughs> sometimes it's just nice to see people having fun on a movie together. It's even better when it turns out that the movie's actually good. And so I think um, that lends credence to, like, Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler getting along so well together. They basically made a trilogy of movies together. Yes. It's this, Fifty First Dates, and Blended, which I have not seen at this point. Yeah, I've not seen Blended uh, either. All right. Wouldn't that be great if that one was like Adam Sandler's hidden gem? I doubt it. Yeah, I'm not holding my breath. I'm just saying. 
but also something that was very nice to watch people have a good time together. So much so that they decided to make another movie together is Dolomite Is My Name, the Craig Brewer film that just hit Netflix with Eddie Murphy. Uh, it's a very good movie, and everyone loved working together so much, they're all doing Coming to America 2 together. Oh, and I wow. Don't know, it's just nice to see that. Oh, so it's out. that group is doing Coming to America. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, Wes- Wesley Snipes is going to be in Coming to America 2 because of Dolomite. Holy shit, that's a, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. So I just... That, that's really exciting. Will Eddie Murphy do the Jewish character again in Coming to America 2? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I think Eddie Murphy feels like he's above the law. Because <laughs> <laughs> he did an Asian character in fucking Norbit. Ooh. And that I was don't like, remember Norbit. No one does. Oh, no. But, like, that's his big thing. Like, he plays multiple characters. I just remember Hercules, Hercules. Hercules, Hercules. Yeah. Um, I think that's the line. But uh, that's got. I gotta say, I, I gotta either play the clip or cut this because Coming to America has one of the funniest jokes ever. <laughs> when he's that black, when he's the barber in it. He keeps claiming he's met famous people, right? <laughs> And you lying, you ain't never met Dr. Martin Luther King. Yeah, I met Dr. Martin Luther King in 1962 in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm walking down the street, minding my own business, just walking off, feeling good. I walk around the corner, man woke up, hit me in my chest, right? I fall on the ground, right? And I look up at Dr. Martin Luther King, I say, Dr. King. He said, oops, I thought you were somebody else. (laughs) Like, why would Dr. King punch anyone? (laughs) It's Martin Luther King. (laughs) This whole thing was (laughs) nonviolence. Well, everyone has their breaking point. Yep, I guess, but he was the wrong guy. (laughs) There's so many layers to that one, it just kills me. And the other thing is that he probably, he's probably lying, and that was the best lie he could come up with, was that he got punched by Dr. Martin Luther King. That's a great movie. Who directed that? That was Landis, right? That was Landis, yeah. Oh, boy. Fucking post-Twilight Zone. Landis. Jesus. Yeah. I honestly, I had thought for years that he did all his big movies and then the Twilight Zone thing happened and then he never made a big movie again. Nope. And nope, it's like right in the middle. <laughs> it's like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to throw Eddie Murphy under the bus, so I'll cut this if uh, if it's not true, but I think he vouched for him initially to, to direct it. And then he like turned on him because he was like, oh, fuck this guy. Well, you know, they had they they had a weird working relationship because like Trading Places is probably like Eddie Murphy's like best performance like of that era. It's so good. He's so fucking funny in Trading Places, and that was him with and Landis kind of got him to start in film. And then I guess they had like a lot of tension on Coming to America, which like depending on who you ask, like each person blames the other. Landis, the, the quote used to be online on the Wikipedia page where Landis said something like, Eddie Murphy on Trading Places was a dream. Eddie Murphy on Coming to America was the pig of the world. Jesus. And then there's there was a thing going around where Eddie Murphy said, like, I threatened John Landis. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, that on that this... one's making waves, like, every couple months. That's kind of nice to see. Yeah, he's like, I threatened John Landis because he was fucking the movie up. And then they did Beverly Hills Cop 3 together. 
which is like a low point for both of them. And according to Landis, and again, I, you never know, Landis said that he was ready to do it, and they, they had very good meetings, and then when they showed up the film, Eddie Murphy didn't want to make it a comedy. That Eddie Murphy wanted it to be a serious cop film. Mm-hmm. And that that's where, like, tension started. But, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Well, in the words of the great John Carpenter, Landis says a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is an actual quote. That's a great quote. Yeah. Landis, I gotta be honest, like, Landis, I, I love a lot of his movies, um, including movies that aren't well-regarded, like The Stupids. Wow. Which I think is a very underrated film. Wow. Have you seen The Stupids? No, but I have seen the clip uh, Max Landis shared when he was on Red Letter Media. Oh, God. What clip did they show? Yeah. Uh, where, like, a, a bucket of paint gets dropped on his head. And then oh. Max Landis goes, like, oh, I get bukkakied in that movie. That was the <laughs> joke. Oh. And it... They let that happen. Like I'm a I'm a fan, but Jesus. Hey, well, they they had him on. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. But hey, they 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 clearly aren't going to be having him on anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. Which but is uh, good. They uh, there's if you want to see a, there's a scene in fucking the stupids. I'm sorry, it's never fun to just recount comedy scenes. <laughs> but like. Fucking Tom Arnold is disguising himself as a bush. Don't ask why. Okay. And he's like, all right, I have, like he has to, he's like, I have to, I have to feel like a bush. I have to start thinking like a bush. He's like, like nature. I know these things. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm a bush with hands. <laughs> and he starts going like, I'm a bush with legs. And so he starts walking around thinking he's part man, part bush. <laughs> He lives in both worlds, but is a master of both. <laughs> Again, The Stupids is one of those movies where it gets so stupid that it kind of comes around to being brilliant. Okay. They also go to a planetarium and mistake a janitor for God. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I think they mistake... I forget what the guy... Oh God, I wish I could... Like, I think... Um, like, it's... It's God, and it's like, no, my name's George, and then he's like, we've been pronouncing his name wrong this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) The Stupids is brilliant, I'm sorry. Oh my god, okay, well I guess I'll check it out. But John Landis, in interviews, like, talks shit about, like, everyone. (laughs) It's scary how similar his horrible flesh bag of a son is to him i know like they talk exactly the same like you look at old interviews uh there's this great round table with him david cronenberg and john carpenter uh for horror movies with mick garris right <laughs> and the way like the mannerisms like it's all there yeah it's horrifying i mean we're all destined to incorporate some of the bad elements of our parents unfortunately <laughs> And then sometimes, if you're a Landis, you get bad elements of your own. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not going to hold all of it against him, but then he went and did his own shit, so. Yeah. So fuck him. <laughs> I just don't the get wedding the. Wedding singer. I just don't get the arrogance of a guy who made, like, me, him, her. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing for that. That you know, was, like, I'm amazed I sat through that whole thing. 
I'm amazed I sat through 20 minutes of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it gets worse. Oh, yes. I've been told. See, because sexuality is fluid, that means the narrative has to be about a woman who has to realize that men are worthy of love, too. Is that what the lesson ends up being? Yeah, yeah. She, she, the revelation is that the Max Landis standing character helps her realize she's not just into women. She's actually into men, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that like Chasing Amy? <laughs> yeah, but worse. Like, yeah, like Chasing Amy has not aged well. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's oof. The one thing everyone but... talks about Chasing Amy is that it has not aged well. <laughs> well, like, if you look at it, Max Landis, his whole career is remaking movies under the title of other movies. Chronicle is low-budget Akira, and I, lo- I like Chronicle a lot, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, like, it... That is, like, the the pitch, you know, basically. Oh, yeah, you're right. His, it is just Akira. His Frankenstein script, the original script before... Not... This can sound weird. I'm not defending him. I'm saying before it got butchered by the studio. Like, it's got problems from page one, but, you know, it became a different problem altogether by the end. It's a big-budget remake of Reanimator. That's the vibe I got that, like, it was supposed to be. Yep. Which, but, but the motherfucking Reanimator is Frankenstein, so... Yeah, so I, I I don't get, like, it's all there. You can see through the bullshit so easily. You're going, Unfortunately, God. I did not see it through it right away, so. Oh my god, you're right. Mm-hmm. I've been thinking about it, yeah, you're right. So that's that's the history of the Landis family. Wow. Um. Yeah, I don't know how he is, I guess if you have a father who's got connections, that's all it takes. Oh yeah, 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 and... Unfortunately, he'll probably be doing like ghost rewrites for like the rest of his life, and we'll and never know about it. As long as he, he he you can tell that he craves the spotlight. So as long as he's always in the shadows and can never be in the spotlight again, I, I'll I'll take I'll take what I can. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like a, he's in purgatory. Yeah, it's, it's great. Not bad. They should let Guillermo del Toro do a Frankenstein. They should let him do whatever he wants. Yeah. Is the problem? Are there? Here's something I was thinking. Are there any horror epics? Because, like, Bram Stoker's Dracula is kind of an epic movie. That's a good description of that. Um, and I, But I couldn't think of any other horror epics, because I feel like that's a, that's a, should be a bigger genre. Uh, give me an alien movie, and I'll see what I could do. Alien's not... Alien's close. You could you could do it. Prometheus... I know, uh, this is not about the quality of the film. The, mm-hmm. the story itself could play out like an epic. That's what I think, yeah. Prometheus definitely had that potential and it just never reached it. I said not talk about the quality. Um, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. I'm agreeing fine. with you. Because, uh, I mean, part of my frustration with that movie is that, like, all the pieces are there and it just never works. Yeah. And, yeah, that really, that really could have been, especially when it, the sequel was before it, it turned into Covenant, um, because they realized they needed to get Xenomorphs on the poster, um, when it was supposed to be called Paradise. Mm-hmm. Like, and then they just they just truncated whatever the plot of Paradise was going to be into like a fifteen minute flashback, <laughs> and is that kind of you know that could have been really interesting. The designs for those monsters would have been really cool to see. I still want it, them to pull from that in the sequel. That will never happen. But I don't know what needed to change. Uh, if it was the script or if if it was the director, because like it what something's not working in those movies for me. <laughs> And I get, I get. Are you probably I, the director? Maybe I don't know. Because like, really, Scott's made movies I like. 
kingdom of heaven and that's it but <laughs> well the counselor is the 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 insane one yeah the counselor but that's like a schlock movie <laughs> but masquerading as a deep film about the drug crisis well it's about how everyone dies horribly it's about how everyone's complicit <laughs> it's every no matter where you are on the scale of the drug war it's just you're part of the problem and uh and it ends with a guy like someone. talking to a phone for ten minutes, <laughs> explaining poetry. No, it ends with Cameron Diaz saying she's famished after sending a snuff film tape uh, to Michael Fassbender. Yep, five stars. You can sell diamonds on and Mars. And I agree. <laughs> she says you can sell diamonds on Mars. And then his follow-up film, yep, The Martian, was The Martian. <laughs> She also says uh, the the ultimate, the best line in that movie, um, truth has no temperature. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Oh, it's the best. What a train wreck. Oh, no, no. It's a genuine masterpiece. Saw that with my grandfather. Oh, how? <laughs> and then Cameron Diaz has sex with a car in it. <laughs> yep. Good times. In context, you know what, though? It totally, like, plays. Did you get how... I might have done this exact joke on this podcast, but... Oh, probably. Did you get how Javier Bardem, he talks about what women are like and how women should be treated and what you gotta do with women, but never picked up on the fact that his girlfriend, wife, or whatever was the secret puppet master the whole time? <laughs> did you pick up on that? Did you get that? Yes, he did do that. Did you, did you get it? <laughs> I don't know how we got here. Anyway, the wedding singer... <laughs> Does not have a scene where someone gets sent a snuff film. It does have Alan, Co- Alan Covert. Where uh, even were we? Um, we didn't get out of the first wedding. Uh, Adam Sandler, of course, playing another schlub, means that another attractive woman who we believe is his girlfriend uh, dumps him. Uh, but this time, he was almost going to get married to her. Yeah, she leaves him, she at the left altar. him at the altar. Yeah. When he's always wanted to get married, like everyone's talking about, this has been his dream to get married. He loves weddings. <laughs> he can't just be a wedding singer. He's a guy who loves the very idea of weddings. <laughs> it's one of those things that's kind of like so clearly overwritten, you know? It, it's so overwritten, but it's also interesting because considering how macho his other characters have been up to this point, now it's a, it's a character who's literally like, oh, I love weddings. <laughs> Which... Even in this day and age, if you're a guy who, like, admits that they look forward to their wedding, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to you're gonna get looks from people. Yeah, yeah, it's just viewed as, like, softer, like... Yeah. Yeah. Effeminate, you're a weaker man, or whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, he could like going, I like going to weddings, doesn't mean I want to get married, you know? He could, he could have had the same thing. I don't know... My, I don't have an opinion on weddings at this point. There, there's a lot of free alcohol. Yeah, but I don't drink. That's the problem. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I guess I hate weddings because there's another place I go to where I go, no, no, I'm good. I'm not going to eat anything. And everyone's like, are you sure you don't want anything? <laughs> and I'm like, yep, I can't eat it. I, I See these pills I brought with me? I can't <laughs> eat the food. And they're like, are you sure we could get you something? I was like, I can't eat it! Because <laughs> no one ever just wants to say, oh, okay, bye. 
Like, are you sure? It's like, I fuck, I'm fucking sure. God damn it. <laughs> I just found out you can't have grapefruit because it cancels out a lot of, like, antibiotics. Yes, I, 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 I had that problem for a while, but I'm not on any antibiotics anymore. Oh, okay. Um, so, the yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, not, not, not a terrible setup, just very overwritten. And uh, also leads credence to the the, the the softer appeal of Adam Sandler, uh, where finally more than just like dude bros who liked SNL liked him. He still has the explosive anger. We see his explosive anger in the aftermath of being um, stood up at the wedding. It it still feels tamer though, is the thing. Definitely. Um, well, because it's not constant. And he's not violent. He just yells in this one. Yeah. In fact, he gets beaten up in this movie. He doesn't beat anyone up. Yeah. Although, to be fair, in Happy Gilmore, he does get beaten up, too. Yeah, but he, but he does assault people in that movie. <laughs> yeah, that's like the whole thing, so maybe that one doesn't hold up as much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but doesn't he get hit by a car? <laughs> in Happy Madison? In Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. Fucking God. The titles. <laughs> This this podcast is gonna break my brain. I just remember that guy who uh, drove a car. That's actually a pretty fun. We didn't talk about that, but the guy driving onto the golf course just to run Adam Sandler over. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, these movies are ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah. If anything, that's kind of my criticism for this one. Not ridiculous enough. Uh, yeah, it kind of teeter. It teeters once in a while, but uh. I mean, that's also just not the vibe they're going for either, so it's not really a criticism. Yeah. Well, clearly whatever they went for worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, it's honestly probably the best Adam Sandler film we've talked about so far. Probably. I I probably still like Billy Madison more just because that's such a strange movie. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, this one, I think, in terms of competence and just heart and storytelling like this is pretty it's it but it's very straightforward it's 90 minutes i mean yeah i mean we're we're not going to talk about it as long as the other episodes mm-hmm. that's that's just like a certainty at this point although there's a lot um, there's still some stuff to talk about here we've, we're just getting into it all right all right um because we got to mention got? <laughs> we got to well, we got to mention julia's also getting married to glenn yes. Everyone's favorite character. Glenn. And he's like, like this whole thing, he's like been putting off, per, like actually scheduling a date for the wedding, I believe. I think that's the big thing. Are you telling me the office ripped this off? Hey now. Um, oh my God, you're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, I really cared Steve about. Steve Carell, you hack. Well, I, he didn't write it. <laughs> No, I know. I'm just being an asshole. <laughs> um, well, it, you know, my favorite part of The Office was the Jim and Pam, will they, won't they? I can't tell if you're being serious. I'm not. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't know. Jim always bugged me. Because <laughs> I think if I worked with Jim, I would hate him. <laughs> is, is that one of those that doesn't hold up for you? No, no. I actually, The Office is actually, I was not, I've never been a giant fan of it. But I've been like, oh, yeah, like I've had f- happy memories of it. Okay, okay. Um, but it's also one where it's like it's very, uh, very cruel show. 
And I don't think it realizes that sometimes. There's a certain point where it's just too cruel. Like, the later seasons really kind of just veer into, like, oh, yeah, it's a TV show as opposed to, like, a fake documentary. they, They do the documentary thing pretty impressively for a while. And I think they really dropped the ball with the final season twist involving the documentary. Yeah, I thought that was that, a big, that was a huge disappointment. Like it was a really good idea that they just fucked up entirely. Yeah, well, because they just framed it around the Jim and Pam thing again. Yeah, that was a thing, and I think you know Steve Carell leaving kind of fucked it up. Mm-hmm. And now Steve Carell has turned into like one of the most arrogant actors ever. <laughs> I haven't seen any interviews with him. Like, is it really that bad? Because I've seen his performances and. <laughs> um, you get the sense he takes himself very seriously. Oh. Which is just odd. And I've always liked him, but it's just like, wait, where'd this come from? Maybe he's just maybe it's that thing of like he's really annoyed that everyone wants to talk about Michael Scott. Yeah, like if they do do that that reboot or whatever, which they shouldn't do. They're they're like re- just don't touch it. Um they uh I, I don't think he'd be coming back. They're gonna reboot the office? There's always talks of like you gotta do another season, you gotta you gotta bring it back, and it's like you guys didn't like the last couple seasons. I was kind to the last couple seasons. I saw what was going around online. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, there's a reason it ended. Things can end, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. It was, uh... I, I bet you if that whatever NBC streaming service, if it doesn't take off immediately, they're going to announce The Office is coming back. No, here's what I think. They're going to announce it when they announce the the streaming service, like, officially. Maybe. That's not a bad idea, either. Yeah. And it still won't do well. (laughs) I'm hoping. I really... I I don't know. Because it seems like Office fans are very, uh... into the Office, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Uh, like, it kind of sucks, because I I really love The Office, actually. Like, I'm a huge fan, for the most part. Uh, But I'm also, like, tired of seeing every meme online be kind of, like, co-opted by office memes you know yeah it's like it never never stops it's like i like other things too there's other there's other things out there fellas well, well it's like simpsons memes too like they simpsons kind of fall into that category as oh, well yeah, yeah. Um, there's just be there should be more sopranos memes though <laughs> least, you gotta still like kickstart that yeah i keep well i'm not i'm not funny so <laughs> <laughs> need someone else to do it Although, I might actually start this because I, I, um, some streaming service just put up a bunch of Courage the Cowardly Dog episodes. Uh, there's a, there's a show tailor-made for one of those out-of-context, like, feeds. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, holy shit. (laughs) For those that haven't seen Courage the Cowardly Dog, great show. Remedy that somehow. It's very odd. (laughs) Oh, and horrifying. This From that era where, like, scary shit. where Cartoon Network was just giving, like, shows to anyone. <laughs> they got some of the weirdest shit ever. Yeah. And then they, Speaking uh... Speaking of weird shit. And they inadvertently caused the Boston bomb scare. <laughs> Wait, what? You don't know this? No? Um, alright, so, uh... Remember, so, like, Cartoon Network... You know, they were the first network to start producing, like, original cartoons. Like, them and Nickelodeon. And then Cartoon Network started Adult Swim, right? Everyone knows this. 
So Aqua Teen Hunger Force was like a huge hit. So Aqua Teen Hunger Force got a movie, right? Right. And it was the first one. It was kind of going to be like when Beavis and Butthead got a movie and shit like that. So they were like, all right, we're going we're gonna to do a lot of viral marketing for it. And very, very hip marketing. One of the ones they did was that they showed the entire movie on Adult Swim, but in like a little box in the corner of the screen. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't tell what the fuck was happening. <laughs> but uh, there's characters on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. I believe they're called the Moon Knights. Do you know anything about Aqua Teen Hunger Force? No, I don't. I, I missed that train. I, I, yeah, I've, I've seen some of it, but there's these characters called the Moon Knights. They're like these weird, blocky guys. They look like neon lights. And they give the finger a lot. And so someone got this bratty. Let's do some viral marketing. We're going to put up a bunch of these boxes with, like, the blinking Moonanites on them. (laughs) And we're going to put them around Boston. (laughs) And we're going to put them in, like, very strategic places. (laughs) And someone thought they they were a bomb. And so, like, the whole city shut down, and there's all these videos, you can find them online, of, like, SWAT teams, like, bomb units going up to the Moonanites. <laughs> oh, shit. And the, the head of Cartoon Network resigned as a result. <laughs> But yeah, that was a, that was a very interesting. <laughs> just just imagine like, because you know like Hanna Barbera cartoons like reran on Cartoon Network for a long time, um, and so like people watching those are like, I wonder what the future is gonna be like back in the fifties <laughs> and sixties, and then cut to just images of a SWAT team surrounding a box, the Moon Knights. <laughs> <laughs> And I swear, there's, oh like, photos God. of, like, the SWAT team with their guns, like, out, approaching <laughs> the Moon Knights. Oh, I have to look this up. And that's where I realized there was, like, a huge, like, cultural gap between me and my father. Because my dad, because when that story broke, my dad was like, can you believe the amount of money that was wasted to do, like, you know, because that's the story every time. Like, how much taxpayer money went to cleaning it up or whatever. And to me, I'm like, no, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it was I couldn't think of anything funnier then and it was like this was like 2006 so wow. I mean that just to show you how long we were still afraid of 9-11 <laughs> hold on I'm gonna look this up real quick I just yeah, wanna see what, how are they what are they called Moonanites I believe they were called the Moonanites let me see I see a picture of a SWAT <laughs> guy holding a Moonanite Here's one, yeah, there's a police department getting one down. <laughs> oh, yeah, because they like, put them under bridges and shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, like, really, like, it was just, they put them just random places. <laughs> I think there's, yeah, I don't know where they all, I just remember back then it was, like, this huge story. <laughs> <laughs> The Moonanites. The Moonanite Panic. <laughs> no, oh, that's actually called the Moonanite Panic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. 
Oh, this is terrific. Yeah, and the yeah, and the the head of Cartoon Network resigned <laughs> as a result of the Moon Knight scare. This is my favorite thing. I was considering taking this out of the episode, but no, this is it. Nope, the Moon Knights stay. And that was when remember when Cartoon Network for like a year they were like Now we're CN real. We're gonna have live action TV shows. Remember I that? I kind of vaguely remember that. Because that was because a new guy came in. And was like, we're going to change the whole game. And then he lasted like two years. Oh. And then they got Adventure Time and then the network turned around. Yay. And then Nickelodeon's been in a dark age for I don't know how long. Since they fucked up Korra's release. I guess that's probably it. Yeah. That was their chance to turn things around. Mm-hmm. And they were like, nah, we're just going to bury it online and have like the biggest fan base they've ever had. Like, that Avatar series could have kept them afloat if they did it right. Yeah, probably. Although, I gotta be honest, I don't want to, not to complain about it too much, because I get so sick of all these videos online that are like, what happened to Nickelodeon? Because mm-hmm. it's like, the answer is always like, hey, you grew up. Mm. Like, that's what happened. <laughs> you're like, you're not, yeah, it's not, it's not for it's adults. Not, it's not for you, and you're, you, you, you're not remembering that most of the shows you watched as a kid do not hold up. Yes, there were some really good ones, but most of them were not great. In a way, I mean, we talked about it before. This isn't this isn't new information, but like that's totally what's happened with Star Wars. Oh no, yeah, it's life. exactly what's yeah. happened. I mean, you you don't you're not you can't love it the way you did as a child. <laughs> like even if these movies were like unquestionable masterpieces like even if like we had like, even like if it if like one of these Star Wars films swept the Cannes Film Festival and <laughs> was one of the highest grossing films of all time like somehow it could be both like these fans would still be upset because you just can't love it the way you used to it's impossible <laughs> it's you're not you're not the kid anymore you can't sit down and just be, have Star Wars be the one thing you care about in the world. And that's, yeah, that's sad, but you gotta grow up at some point. That's a little harsh, but... And that's why we do this show specifically about Adam Sandler and Steven Spielberg. Yes, I don't know what relevance this has to anything. <clears throat> We're talking about Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn's an asshole. He's a very uh, mean person, and he cheats on Drew Barrymore. Yeah, you which can should see. Be a crime. You can see where all of this is going. Like the moment anything gets introduced. <laughs> yeah, no, not not a riveting like unraveling narrative. I would Just... honestly like to see a version of a movie like this because there's a lot of rom coms with like these kinds of plots. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, these two characters, like, they've been waiting to find that someone for a long time, but when they do, they're actually engaged to other people. Like, that's a very common, like, love, like, rom-com story. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to see someone play it completely straight. Because if you do what these characters do in this movie, you would ruin everyone's lives. <laughs> this would be a very traumatic experience. Yeah, because the, the the 
current spouses are always just such assholes, you know? So yeah. it's, of course, you root for the person to, like, make a comeback or whatever. And, like, I think there's there's nothing even, like, inherently wrong with that for, like, a, a, a romance movie. It's just, if you take the time to look at things a little more, I think you can get an even more interesting movie out of it, like, easily. Yeah. <laughs> you know? At least compelling. Well, I mean, it, that's kind of The Graduate, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Graduate's got that big ending where he comes in and stops the wedding and it's, like, all triumphant and then they're just on that fucking bus. Yeah, and they're like, oh. So maybe, the, maybe like, all the imitators just didn't get it. Yeah. That's a wild movie. And they're like, oh, yeah, I love The Graduate. That's my favorite romantic comedy. It's like, oh. <laughs> you know, the, the, the oh. nostalgia critic did a video called What's the Deal with the End of the Graduate? I... I don't even want to ask if I'm <laughs> going to. I mean, it's basically just him going like, yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> it's like, yep, that is the point. Yeah, hey, all right. Did it take him half an hour to get to that conclusion? I think it's like one of those, he did like a stretch where he would only do like 10 minute videos. Oh, wow, that's still too long. Yeah. But, you know. Um, I don't know. There's a guy who uh, I keep bringing up. Because he's terrible. I, you know, I, it's my fault. I watched that wall review. And I just, it, it hasn't left my brain. If you want to talk about, like, it's just so inexplicably bad. Like, it goes beyond bad where, like, I can't even really criticize it, like, just on, like, the technical failings because all of his reviews are like that. It just gets to a point where it's like, who, who thought this was a good idea? And what idea did they think they well, were the going for? <laughs> None of it matters. And he's just a black pit of despair. I guess you're right. <laughs> I usually am. People are so surprised by that, though. Hey, well. <coughs> I don't fucking know. Why is Empire Strikes Back trending? I don't know. I'm scared. I'm not going to like this, am I? I don't know. They we probably look after the episode. They probably fucked up the uh, aspect ratio or something. Oh, God! I, you know, I was gonna look, and I'm like, no, no, I'm committed to the episode. Let's do this. Um. <clears throat> okay, let's see what else. I don't know. It, I, I can't see. I can't tell what's why it's trending. <laughs> well, that's good. Sorry, I, I I I did actually click on it. Um, well, aren't they like, aren't the versions new edits again? Uh, they were going to be re-edits for the, the 3D release. Yeah, yeah, but they like... Back then, so yeah, yeah. They, they, they added and tweaked some stuff, and I think they're like, they, they got the 4K resolution, but some of the, it's like the Blu-ray release, you know, where like the color timing's a little off and everything. And yeah. All that jazz. Well, we always have the fans that will work for free to fix all this. <laughs> Love the specialized edition. What? The despecialized edition or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. There's, and I believe there's other versions, but I have the despecialized edition mm. from however many years ago I downloaded that. There's probably a better version out now, even. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, you can tell where this story's going. <laughs> it's it's much pretty, like this podcast. <laughs> but um, we should say that after. Uh, after getting left at the altar, and after, 
Yeah, he's devastated. He's depressed. He has a breakdown at a wedding where he talks about how certain people just aren't gonna aren't gonna get love in their life. And why can't his ex girlfriend just be happy that he's just a wedding singer? I think she didn't want to just marry a guy who was a wedding singer. Um, which, while he does make a good point that this is something that they should have talked about yesterday, <laughs> um, that's not a bad, that's not a wrong complaint. <laughs> yeah, like, what does she say? He makes like $60 per show? Yeah, and he, and he doesn't he live in his brother's basement? His sister's basement. His sister's basement. Yeah, and, and like, that's... Yeah, that's a genuine pause for concern. <laughs> yeah, like, look, some we all go through rough patches, <laughs> but we're also supposed to try and get out of them a little bit. <laughs> and yeah, you know, usually, like, what your living situation is isn't a testament to who you are as a human being. But uh, yeah, maybe show a little more initiative than just being a wedding singer. Yeah, basically, if you're going to spend your life with someone... You gotta work this stuff out. So, like, yeah, part of it is on her for not having the conversation sooner, but, like, it's way more on him for not doing anything about it. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Well, no, I, I, I wouldn't say more. This is, it's a, They should have talked about it. There you go. <laughs> this isn't something that you just let slide until the last minute. <laughs> uh, the fact that it never came up is a little shocking. <laughs> yeah, again, very... Very writer, like dialogue. But this is—I mean, you know, he, he is kind of as as much of a lovable character as he is a bit of an entitled person. Where he's like, "Hey, I'm a nice guy." Yeah. Oh which, no. Which he very much this is. is. The birth I mean, of the incels. I, I yeah, I know. It's that term means something completely different these days. <laughs> but I would say it's a—he does. He's a genuinely nice person in this. It's very schmaltzy and pulls at the heartstrings. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's yeah, he's he's just he's a good guy, but he doesn't understand why that in life you got to be more than just a good guy sometimes. Because I hate yeah. to break it to you, everyone <laughs> listening, there's a lot of nice people out there. <laughs> as much as you want to believe that you're the only nice person, and that everyone else is a bunch of jerks, especially that girl you likes boyfriend. <laughs> Um, he's probably a very nice guy. <laughs> yeah, I think everyone, like, assumes that there's a Glenn out there. <laughs> yeah. And that's just not the case. Mm-hmm. So, very, uh, very romantic fantasy. You know, not a... This is not an authentic, true-to-life film. This is not Woman Under the Influence. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not Cassavetes. <laughs> Oh my god, imagine John Cassavetes directing an Adam Sandler movie. I'd, I'd love to see it. Yeah, R.I.P. Any day, just give it. It'd be great. Well, uh, well like there might in be a, some roadblocks to that. Yeah, well, that's like uh, in, the, in the comic The Sandman, Neil Gaiman Sandman, when uh, in, in the dream realm you can see all the unwritten books by all the great authors. Like and you can see like all the stuff they wanted to write but never got around to. Like I, that's my idea of if you die, you get to go to a movie palace where you get to see all the great unmade movies. Oh, okay, that's the most I've ever learned about the Sandman comic. Oh, you should read it. It's real good. I, I started reading Stardust. 
Actually, hey. I like that one a lot. Stardust a lot of fun. Yeah, and yeah, a, very, and a fun it's, movie. It's, I know, I know, people don't like that movie. I thought that movie was fine. I, I like it. Um, have you seen the movie before the book? Yeah, yeah, okay. I did. No, no, not not. I think I did the same thing, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but I know Sandman's a very good comic. Um, although I don't know, every everyone's got a fucking opinion on comics these days. Yeah, <laughs> I don't See, know. Maybe... When you first said Sandman, I thought you were just saying like, oh. In like something for Adam Sandler related. Oh yeah, the Sandman. The Sandman. Yeah, the Sandman. The oh my god. From. Oh my god. Yeah. Maybe maybe Adam Sandler should play Dream in the Sandman is adaptation. The, is that the main character? Yeah. Yes. Oh okay. Because I th- I thought it was literally called Sandman. No, it's it's weird. It was like DC well, when Neil came to comic. Well, after Watchmen, DC it was like let's let's bring back all our obscure characters that we now own. <laughs> and so they were doing, like, Black Orchid. But, like, you could do, like, they were literally, like, bring back a character, you can do whatever you want with them. And there have been, like, two previous versions of the Sandman. Like, one was a guy with, like, a gas gun that, like, knocked people out. And the other was, like, a weird, uh... I'm trying to remember. I think Jack Kirby might have... I can't remember. Someone wrote, like, a 70s version of Sandman. They, they both pop up in the Sandman comic, but then Neil Gaiman was like, I'm just going to take the title and do whatever the fuck I want. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's great. There you go. That's the dream right there. Another and one. It's like, it really is very much its own thing, but like occasionally, like, I think the Martian Manhunter shows up like once. Mm. But it, it's, it's in the DC universe, but very much ve- barely touches it. <laughs> so you don't need to know all that shit. <laughs> That I've that I spent years of my life trying to learn, and now I regret. <laughs> <laughs> well, what did you learn from the wedding singer? Um, well, I want to talk about just a little bit, because um, the the big the other big setup is that now that she now that Julia and Glenn are finally getting married, Robbie has quit being a wedding singer, which it upsets her because she wanted him to perform at his wet at her wedding, so instead she's going to have him help her plan the wedding so that's how they end up spending time with each other the whole time and that's where you get that ends up leading to my favorite cameo in the film uh john lovitz as jimmy moore (laughs) (laughs) john lovitz of course from his guest spots on new girl john lovitz of course from that time he was like really popular with the right wing because he called Obama an asshole. Oh, I don't know what John Lovett's politics are. <laughs> he just called him an asshole. That's all. I think he was. Obs- yeah, it was like yeah. He, he was. He was on. He was on Kevin Smith's podcast. Do you remember this? This was like a whole thing. No, I don't. Um. When Kevin Smith, like, remember Kevin Smith, like, became, like, like a huge podcasting empire at some point. Like, he had, like, 30 shows going at one point. Yeah, yeah. And he started doing live shows, and they started doing it out of the John Lovitz Comedy Club. <laughs> and while Kevin Smith was there, he kind of struck up, like, a friendship with John Lovitz. He wanted John Lovitz to do his own show. So we did a few, like, where he interviewed Lovitz about his history on SNL. And he kept trying to talk Lovitz into doing, like, a show where Lovitz would just bring on old SNL people and they would talk. Because he thought that would be, like, a perfect idea 
for a podcast. Lovett seemed to not understand what it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he uh, one of the ones he called Obama an asshole, I believe, and that got a lot of press. Mm. And then uh, something happened where the owner of Lovett's fired the guy who co-owned the comedy club with him and then tried to like impose a really fucked up deal on Kevin Smith for like how the, the tickets were going to be divided. Mm. And so then like him and Kevin Smith had like this big falling out. Oh no. It was like this huge thing. And uh, a little weird. Cause I mean, that's the closest John Lovitz has been to relevant in a while. <laughs> Yeah. And I actually like John Lovitz, but... Well, no, no. He also uh, had a starring role in the hit film Southland Tales. Oh, yeah, he's a cop that shows up and just shoots people. (laughs) (laughs) That's the... The cast of that movie's insane. Yeah. I'm so pissed I missed an opportunity to watch the uh, the cans cut this year. Oh, shit. Oh, that would have been amazing. They showed it in L.A. A couple friends went, and I was like, no. Fucking Kevin Smith's in that, too. Yep. As, like, an aged Iraq war vet. Without legs, I believe. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair. He explains time travel. (laughs) Naturally, of course. And that's a subplot in the movie. With Zelda Rubenstein and Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. (laughs) Yeah, and doesn't John Lovett shoot Sherry (laughs) O'Terry? I believe so. Oh my god, Southland Tales. Yeah. The most, uh... How do I even put this? It predicted Trump. Um, yeah. In a weird way. Yep. And it very There's... much, it very much called, uh... It's probably one of the best Bush-era films to actually be about the Bush era. Oh yeah, yeah. It gets no credit because it's, you know, Southland Tales. Because it's kind of a but... fucking mess, but... Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's an infinitely fascinating film. Yep. And I would like to see a... Uh, that's where, I, I mean, I don't like Donnie Darko. But I'm, I, I'm right there with you. I kind of love... I kind of love Southland Tales. And it was built up to me as, like, a terrible film. So, like, for, like, a long time, I kind of just accepted that. But then I was like, I've watched Southland Tales more than a lot of prestige films. Southland Tales should have been a prestige film, but everyone's just a coward. Yeah. I think the, the the real sad fallout of that is I think that because The Rock did that, it was like his one like time where he tried to team up with like an auteur director, and he's never really done that again, you know? Yeah. Because I, yeah. I wish The Rock was doing more stuff like that at this point in his career. Yeah, it sucks, because he's like, he's clearly a, a good actor. But now he's always got to play the rock. You know, yeah. He's be cool and stuff like that. Well, now, like, his big his big stretch is that he's going to play Black Adam. Like, that's going to be outside. It's funny that, that it's a superhero movie and it's like, oh, yeah, that one's the stretch. Yeah, I know. Like, it really isn't. But he's going to be kind of a bad guy. <laughs> However the fuck that film turns out. Yeah. Are they going to the do boy, a Shazam? Jean-Claude Sarah's directing. Are they going to do a Shazam too? They keep saying they are, but I'm like, they haven't started, and yeah. the kids are getting older. Yeah, that's gonna so. be the that's gonna be the problem with it. you. Got to do it like now. Yeah, because even like they waited two years, and those kids from it like aged to the point where they had to de-age all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't distracting at all. 
you know, for all the shit I give that movie because it's a terrible movie, I didn't. It didn't bug me. Really? I think I think I was just too annoyed by the rest of the movie for it to like register. You know. All right. Yeah, but I didn't. It's not a defense. I didn't feel that way at all. <laughs> no I one else does, apparently. Yeah. I will say I won't get into it, but I want to give Doctor Sleep a lot of credit for not doing any of that digital bullshit. They just yeah. they just recast people. Like I was totally fine with that. Yeah. Although yeah. I gotta say, thinking about it just now. <laughs> It might have made sense when they got to the Overlook. Like, thematically, it would have made sense. You know what or I'm like saying? Like, the imperfections. It would have yeah. been a weird thing where, like, the imperfections are, like, kind of necessary almost. Yeah, like, I think it might have actually... That actually might have been a good idea. I think the problem is, like, if you just did it with the Nicholson character, it would have been too creepy. <laughs> Then it would have been scary? Yeah, no, I'm not saying scary. I'm just saying, like, it would have been, like, off-putting. Oh, okay, I see, I see. Because that was, I mean, that's, like, the one inventive thing they do once they get to the Overlook. Aw, boo. Although I was really hoping to see Lloyd the bartender. (laughs) That's kind of of fun, though, because it's like, oh, the the previous owner, quote-unquote, becomes the bartender. Yeah. Well, it's like that they all, like, the spirits are like an amalgam of like everyone that's been there. Like they aren't even really human. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's kind of neat, neat ideas in that movie. A lot of, a lot of neat movie. ideas. Um, great um, middle. I really love the middle of that movie. Um, but was really disappointed by the ending. Sorry, no, everyone. Right. I mean, you do what realize the last it, bit. It was just, it was just Stephen King's attempt to like rewrite. Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, but it, Flanagan's talented enough to kind of no weave me through that. Flanagan is his own voice when he's trying to do Kubrick. It it's fucked up. It it it's like I loved what I loved about Doctor Sleep. I told I said I wasn't going to get into it, but fuck it. <laughs> fuck what it, I loved. Patreon, hello. <laughs> what I loved about Doctor Sleep was that it did it, it very quickly established that it was not a sequel to The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> that it's like we're doing our own thing and then it was like it, it was easy for me to be like all right i don't have to think about it too much and all like because the, the woman from the shower in the beginning like they it didn't work at all for me Aww. and it was it was more goofy than anything it also seemed to forget that the woman in the shower doesn't start out as a dis- diseased corpse woman <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't want to try that i guess Maybe it would have just been a little weirder because it's a little kid. Yeah, yeah but that's if fucking if you're gonna torture a kid to death in your movie. <laughs> oh just, yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, yeah that 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 scene just didn't that that element. But once it was like, all right, it's its own thing, I can accept that. But then it was like, nope, we're going back to the Overlook, which they which they actually do do in the book, which is one of my least favorite parts of the book, because they just go to where the Overlook burned down. Because <laughs> it mm. burns down in the book, The Shining. Well, now now, now it's gone from both versions of The Shining. I guess. Whatever. <laughs> I didn't need that. Mm. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little mixed on things in the ending, but the, the final moments with also, the, the kid... Also, I'm, I'm, I'm a little annoyed that both 
of the big Stephen King movies this year actually go. Actually, sometimes people do die for good reasons. Oh, I hate I hate that in it. Here, I, that's the thing I'm mixed on. It's a course, little honestly. better in Doctor Sleep. It's terrible in it. It's. Uh, I'm surprised that's not like a bigger point of contention. I just think no honestly. one gives a shit. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I've seen so little dialogue around that because that's like awful. Because well, I think <laughs> it's, it's a the horrible thing, message. But it's like I probably will sound like I'm complaining about Doctor Sleep more, but that's because I was actually invested in a lot of it. Yeah, which I, I honestly did not expect from you. So yeah, that's, that's I, cool to hear. It really uh, that that whole middle really won me over, and uh, I just didn't. And it, I like that it was actually very brutal and harsh. Oh God, like, yeah. What what is up with Jacob Tremblay in these R-rated movies? I don't know, um, but I, I I was just I I thought it was ballsy that they actually did kill the girl's father. Um, oh yeah, I which, didn't know because I, I haven't read the book, so I was I was shocked. yeah. I I was just a little annoyed that it didn't. Um, they should have done a little more with that if you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Same with the Jacob Tremblay getting tortured. I thought all that was going to come back in some way, and it just instead it was like nope, overlook. Oh okay, because I, I thought you were saying like they didn't go far enough with no no I not I not like, oh god I would have liked to have seen like a fallout with like his family you know oh yeah yeah, yeah. like that should have been the closure of it where it's like the little girl's like hey you know we don't die <laughs> like we don't like part of us lives on somewhere and that should have been the closure instead of like I was talking to my ghost friend. Because then, because then it just is a. It's actually a very depressing ending because it's like, oh, the cycle repeats. It thinks it's a movie about breaking the cycle, but it's actually saying the cycle repeats. Oh yeah, because she ends up just locking them away again. Yeah, which is a, uh, yeah, yeah. And she takes on the burden that he had. I. We should go back to to the movie but do you think that's kind of like Flanagan sneaking in the, the Kubrick thing again no because there's no Kubrick in it <laughs> I'm sorry it's just it, Kubrick's I don't want to be like Kubrick's a genius he's just different yeah like, yeah I, no no I get that but the, I'm talking about like the idea at least because his idea of the the overlook is different from King's you know yeah uh, well, well Kubrick also seems to think that the idea of an afterlife is actually a very horrible thing. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of what The Shining is about. And King doesn't see it as inherently bad. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't I just don't think I just don't think the two voices mesh well together. Mm-hmm. It it was it was very fine when it was its own thing, just not together. And again, I'm not trying to be like Kubrick's a genius and Flanagan's an idiot. I actually, it's weird how much I like Mike Flanagan considering how many hangups I have with his movies. <laughs> I actually really think, I think he's a very good director. I just think that, I don't know. He needs something that I don't know what it is. Uh, Adam Sandler. Maybe. Adam Sandler <laughs> horror movie would be interesting. Anything else you want to talk about? Before we um, head to the finale, uh, no, I think we can go right to the finale. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's like a stupid misunderstanding in the middle. Um, there's Glenn rat punches Adam Sandler. Yes, Glenn punches him, and then like Linda comes back, and then Linda says like, "Oh, he's actually with me." And fucking, I guess we have to talk about rapping Granny. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, Wild out. Recently passed away a couple years ago. She lived to be 101. Wow. So, but on the end, she got to live to do other films. Right. Also, where she, I think she raps in it as well. I think she raps in Wedding Crashers, <laughs> which is a movie. Was that also directed by the Joker dude? I think it might have been. Jesus. Remember when Bradley Cooper was like the third lead in like shitty comedies? Yeah, and that's so funny because he's like such a like hardcore like movie guy too. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I always hate saying the word cinephile because it sounds like kind of pretentious, but like it's kind of what he is. Well, now he's a director. Yeah. I mean. For an Academy Award nominated film. Yeah. I, I really like Star is Born. Yeah, it shows a lot of potential for where he could go if he keeps at it. Yeah, yeah. When is Affleck coming back to direct? Uh, I don't know. WB fucked him so bad. Yeah. I guess. Um, well, because they, they rushed his, uh, his gangster pick into production because they were like, we want you to do Batman next. And he was like, fine, I want to do this next. And they're like, all right, fine, do that. Like, in the time span of, like, a year and a half, and then do Batman. He's like, fucking fine, whatever. That bombs. Doesn't work out for him. Then he's no Batman anymore. So, mm. it might be a minute. I feel like um, Live By Night is one of those movies where there's, like, a three-and-a-half-hour version of the movie that's actually good. I'd like that. I I, I wish I could get Ben Affleck on the phone. <laughs> And release the Affleck cut. I was about to say. But, no, because it feels like one of those movies where it's like, you know, it's like there's those movies where if they they actually are better when they're longer. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what that movie felt like watching it. I could be wrong, but... Because there's so much going on in that fucking movie. Yeah. Well, it's like Kingdom of Heaven. The theatrical cut's, like, fine, but, mm-hmm. like, the, the full cut is, like, one of his best movies. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe there's an extended cut of uh, The Wedding Singer. I doubt it. There really shouldn't be. 90 minutes is perfect for this. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't overstay its welcome at all. Uh, the, the, the characters are in, they're out. You, you know what they're about immediately from the get-go. You know where they're headed. And uh, I gotta they... be honest, when uh, when Adam Sandler starts performing on the plane, it's a... Uh, pretty damn touching moment it's very it's, anti- it's so hollywood but it's it was very touching it's very nice yeah um yeah and billy idol helps oh yeah billy idol helps defeat glenn because he tells because adam sandler tells his story on the plane and it is so compelling <laughs> to the other passengers they all decide to help him which that's just how much of a nice guy he is yeah <laughs> And it has the same problem as all these other early Adam Sandler movies, and as many other will follow, I'm sure, that, uh, like, the setup is fine, and the whole movies are generally fine, or even good, borderline good, right? But it's like, you can get so much more out of it if you just show him, like, really struggle to, like, overcome any of his obstacles, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, every scene is just kind of isolated. Like, this is a scene where he recoups from the failure. This is a scene where he fails. This is a scene where blah, 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 blah. And, like, it's all there. Oh, yeah, so much is resolved so quickly. 
that mm-hmm. there's barely any conflict. Yeah. I mean, the biggest but thing is that he quits. Cute. He quits being a wedding singer, and like that's resolved by the end of the film. And like that's only like an hour after he quits. <laughs> so, yeah, it would be honestly. I think what we will learn getting into it is that when someone does take an Adam Sandler character seriously, you end up getting a very interesting film. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, and I wish someone had done that with uh, him and Drew Barrymore, honestly, because I really like these two together. They oh have yeah, just this chemistry that can't be replicated by like other movie stars. Yeah, I don't know what Sandler t- needs exactly, but like who, like who he needs to be working with, like if it's the writing or if it's the directing, but. Or if he, or if he's just against it himself, if he's just comfortable making movies that don't get too complex. But uh, yeah, I think he could make some really great movies if he just took them a little more seriously. <laughs> but what you get, I mean, this is not a film where I'm like, I'm not fucked this movie. I, I would actually say if if you're gonna watch an Adam Sandler movie, check out The Wedding Singer. There's some good moments. <laughs> Yeah, it's probably the most reliable one. Honestly. Yeah, just uh, it's definitely up there. Yeah, so that's the wedding singer. Also, the next time we talk about well, Adam hold Sandler, on, hold on. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just so that's the wedding singer, and I got to talk about in the climax. What what's the reveal in the climax? They get married, and Steve Buscemi is now their wedding singer. I'm just gonna put the clip. So now even he's even he has a happy ending. Hooray! <laughs> Thank you for that. I felt like that needed to be pointed out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we also didn't talk about uh, Alexis Arquette, who's in this. As like the backup okay. singer. Okay. Okay. Um, do, you, do you want to highlight something? I, I well, I just think it's interesting because, like, we're we're kind of meant to laugh at Alexis, which is you know an issue, but we're also on her side. So I don't know. I just the shifting alliances Adam Sandler has with like outsider and marginalized characters, because <laughs> as as we go. As we go on, we see we see him start to lose the kind of more outsider types that he hangs around with in favor of laughing at them. I just think that's I I I feel like pointing it out because it wasn't always that way. <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. And uh, Alexis Arquette, of course, is no longer with us. Uh, R.I.P. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's um. I like your theory. I forget, did we talk about it before the episode or during the episode? Just, just remind me and I'll go into it again. Okay. Um, I, you had this theory that Adam Sandler's filmography might be kind of representative of like boomer ideology. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. Like, I think where I they see themselves before the show. Yeah. I mean, this is a very, I, I feel like this is a bit of a nostalgic movie for like, the aging boomer like the boomer kind of just hitting the adulthood and then middle life midlife crisis because it, it has that weird like again i didn't know it wasn't set in the 80s 
but that makes so much sense because it has this weird foot in both the 90s and 80s. And it's this weird thing where he's like a scrappy guy who's just working hard to get what he wants. And as his career goes on, he starts kind of going from being the guy who's trying to work to get somewhere to now and then he becomes the man, you know? Which mm-hmm. I think boomers view themselves that way a lot. Although they try to reject the idea that they're the man. They still think they're the most oppressed class in the country. Well, that's because everyone else gets stuff handed to them. Oh, yeah. Obviously, yeah. Well, the baby boomers were, were never handed anything in their whole life. Yeah, they worked hard for their health care, so no one else should have any. Yep. Who cares that America hosts, like, the largest portion of poverty to wealth? Shit. Got a problem with poverty? Get a job. I drove by a Burger King. I drove by a Burger King yesterday. A help wanted sign. But there was a homeless guy out front. He's just lazy. That's That's how it works. Anyone can be a billionaire. Anyone can. That's why we can't tax Bill Gates, because what if I end up having $100 billion? I like that Spend Bill Gates Money website. Oh, yeah, that's pretty funny. Because you can't spend all of it. I know. <laughs> um, I want I want people to understand, now that we've watched The Wedding Singer, I want people to understand that the billionaires aren't going to give up their money so easily. <laughs> and we're going to have to fight. <laughs> Gonna have to fight. I want you to understand this, people. That's the one lesson I want you to take away from the wedding singer. <laughs> Go watch Parasite. What are these? I'm interested to see what these fuckers finally do when they when none of their moderate nominees make it through. Uh, they'll say Hillary was right about everything, and that Bernie's also ruining everything. No, but they got it. Are they gonna line up behind Trump? Oh. That, that's a scary thought. I don't know. Uh, uh, I want to... I, I don't believe people are that stupid. Bill Gates... I, I for sure don't believe that. Bill but. Gates straight up said that he would be open to supporting Trump. Oh, okay, I thought you were talking about, like, the en masse. Oh, those no. Those individuals. Oh, no. Those people will definitely support Trump. Yeah. Um, but it's like... I don't, I don't know if there are enough... I guess what I'm saying is, like, will it make a difference if the billionaires line up behind Trump. That's a scary thought. I don't know. I mean, that's that's honestly where we're at, where it's like, all these progressive ideas are very popular. We want a progressive candidate. The debate right now is how progressive. Because <laughs> it's, it's between, you know, light progressive with Elizabeth Warren and heavy progressive with Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and not not to like get into who's the better choice that's a whole other thing but just that that seems to be where we're at right now and the billionaire class doesn't want either so when one of them does get the nominee will the ruling class be able to assert their power enough to not let them win even though they're the popular candidates because that's what they're gonna do Jesus I mean, are we under any illusion? Am I breaking like news here? No, no, it's just I don't, it's a scary thought. Yeah, scary. Th- what do you think they're just going to be like? Up, oh, we lost the election. No, oh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I guess we got to just give up our billions. 
Suddenly, every multi-billionaire is suddenly going to only have $10 million in their bank account <laughs> after Election Day. And like, where'd the, where'd yes, that money go? And it's like, what money? <laughs> I'm not a billionaire. And they're going to line up with some authoritarian, insane person. Who's <laughs> like, I will hide all your money. <laughs> oh, you can't tax me. I only have $2 billion left. Yeah. What are you going to do? I can't live off that. I mean, it's it's still going to probably have to take uh, a revolution of some kind. <laughs> not, not, not. Thank you. Not going to say violent. <laughs> could, just, could just be a work stoppage across the country. But it's going to take that, frankly. And if uh, you got to realize that at some point. And it doesn't matter who wins the election because the fight's going to last much longer. Thank you for continuing to use the podcast to uh, incite nationwide revolution. I don't I appreciate that. I have no regrets. No, no, I encourage it. It like would be having you on. It would be great if we like inspired some insane person out there. Be very careful about what I say it would because be... it would be fucking horrible. Because then they would if we like ins- inspired by some... the rhetoric of the Waffle Press movie podcast. Yeah, and they're like some Lee Harvey Oswald. Dan Doherty attack. <laughs> no, Dan is a good boy. Yeah, but he's he's very young and very easy to manipulate. <laughs> no. Dan is the number one Waffle Press fan. I've, I've been sending him secret Waffle Press episodes under the guise of Patreon exclusives, and they're all telling him what to do. <laughs> This is the worst episode <laughs> this ending is the, ever. This is the best episode ending. Not compared to our close encounters of the third kind, obviously. Oh no, no, that one—that's peak. That's uh, yeah. I can't believe that we like actually caused world peace with the ending of that episode. Yeah, yeah. Who'd have thunk it? I mean, but it, for now, like, like Trump just like said, "I've learned from this podcast," because <laughs> we were able to send it directly to him. And that's why I'm actually, that's actually the reason why I'm doing this, because now that Trump has backed down and is actually going to throw himself in prison, um, I got to tell Dan Doherty to cancel Operation Mongoose. <laughs> that's why I'm doing this ending. Matt, we don't need where it can anymore. people find you? I'm at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com and an FBI watch list. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the Diego Crespo. Check out the Waffle Press on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes. Uh... I, maybe not YouTube much longer, considering how things are changing over there, I guess. I don't Woo. know. Uh, we'll see. Great uh, website. Out- God bless America. <laughs> yeah, don't forget to check out the Patreon. We'll always be on on the audio stuff. It's a good That's thing easier. Patreon isn't also about to collapse. Yeah, who, who knows? Who, who can never be sure? Oh, my cat's Thanks here. Listen. Otto. <laughs> Otto, come on, buddy. Oh, Otto, boy. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Otto, my boy. Love you. Oh, somebody kill me, please.